So Luke chapter 20, if you haven't been with us, we're going, we've been going through the gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus Christ, paying attention to what he taught, what he did. And we are at the end of the gospel of Luke, and we come to a point in which Jesus is just a couple of days before going to the cross, and we're seeing him teach in the temple that is there. A few questions for you this morning. Do you love praise from other people? Do you love money? Do you love the things that you have? Do you like to be noticed by other people? Do you want people to pay attention to you? Maybe another question would be, do you put on a mask so that people don't see your heart? We may be good at deceiving other people, but we cannot deceive the Lord God Almighty who sees and knows all, everything we think, even before we say that, and he knows the depths of our heart. This morning, as we look at this text, the big idea is this, Jesus requires hearts that are fully devoted to him and not to the world. Look with me at Luke chapter 20. We will begin in verse 45 and read through chapter 21, verse 4. It says this, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Again, we've been blessed to read the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that you bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we will look at uh, this group of people, religious leaders who have been battling Jesus. They've been coming up, as we've seen the last few weeks, and the Pharisees have a test for Jesus, and the Sadducees have a test for Jesus, and they send spies to spy on Jesus and test him, and each time he gives an answer which silences them because Jesus is God, and he gives them the right and proper and the divine answer. They have not left the temple. This is the same day as we've seen in the last part of this chapter here that uh, they've just moved into another part of the temple and Jesus is now making some observations and turns to his disciples who are the apostles who will be the leaders of his church and says pay attention to this group of people and pay attention to this woman who gave of these coins and so in verse chapter 20 verse 45 through 57 we'll see this first point of extravagant religion It says in verse 45, And hearing uh, all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware the scribes. The word beware there, he says, watch out. He says, look at these religious guys. These religious leaders of the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to pay attention to them. It would be like Jesus saying, hey, see these pastors of these churches. Pay attention to these guys and look and see what they are doing. And And you'd think, well, why does he say watch out? 
They're church leaders, right? There are people who are supposed to lead people in worshiping God. He says, beware and watch out. And you would say, well, who are these scribes? Well, these scribes, these people uh, that are leaders of the nation of Israel, they have all, uh, they, they're all show, they're all about themselves. Everything they want is attention and everything they do so that people look at them, but their heart is wrong. They have no heart that is right with the Lord. Jesus points out that they're filled with pride. Their heart is filled with greediness and they're, hip, they're hypocrites. We've already seen this in the last few chapters of Luke. Jesus has already attacked the religious leaders in the sense of bringing uh, to uh, the, his disciples and pointing out to them, challenging the Pharisees and saying, you are hypocrites. You are people who have this show. You put on these masks, but inside your heart is full of just death and rottenness. And here he is in the scribe's house, in the sense, their temple, the place where they would teach that they knew the law. And he's telling his disciples, see these guys don't pay attention to them. So let's look at what he says they're filled with. The first one, it says that they're filled with pride. Verse 46, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. These robes, the type that would be hanging down to their feet, one like a king would wear so that when they walk in, everyone's like, oh, wow, pay attention to them. I was thinking this week of a guy named Dennis Rodman that played basketball, and when he'd show up at places, he would dress just crazy weird, but it was for a sense of getting attention from other people. Here, they wear these robes so they can get attention from the crowds as they walk into the marketplaces. Verse 46, they love greedy in the marketplaces. I was thinking this week, it'd kind of be like a, 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 maybe a, a court judge or a Supreme Court judge in their long robe walking into the mall and, and saying, Your Honor, let me help you get a pair of shoes fitted. Or Your Honor, let me uh, do this or this greeting. They wanted people to acknowledge them and say, Rabbi or, or scribe, whatever it was. And uh, hey, you're looking great today. Hey, come over here and buy some fish or whatever it may be. They longed for and wanted the attention of people and Jesus says you're filled with pride verse 46 they want the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts so the synagogues in the cities when the people of God would gather uh, for the reading of God's word there was a bench up front or seats up front where they would keep the scrolls of the word of God and they would want those seats where they're like sitting up front where they would view other people and that people could see them Maybe some of you ever visited a church or grew up in a church where they got the chairs up front and the pastor or the deacons or, or the elders or whatever, they sat up front. And to me, it's always weird. Why do you set people up front to just stare at the crowd and the crowd to stare at the leader? It's kind of like going to a university graduation and they parade in all the professors in their long robes and those weird hats and those colorful things. And they all go get to sit up on the stage. And then you got all the students who are getting the degrees. They got to sit down and stare at them and the crowd with them. It's like, I don't know, it's just a weird thing to me. Like, why do we stare at each other in those things? Like, everyone sit there and, but that's just me. They want to be viewed by the other people. They dressed for that. They wanted the people to acknowledge them with the titles. And they wanted to be up front because they were filled with pride. He's telling his disciples would be the, who would be the future church leaders, pay attention to the pridefulness of their heart. Not only are they filled with pride, the second thing is, is that greediness or greed rules their heart. You see in verse 47, it says, 
who devour widows' houses. Doesn't mean that they actually ate the houses of a widow. What he's saying that they were doing is that these scribes at times would have the ability to come alongside of a widow and say, hey, you know what, let me help you with your will or your estate. You know what, you could really help out the temple. You could help out this synagogue. You could do this with these finances. And what they did is they robbed from these widows and they would also gain from that themselves. Well, Jesus already have warned and taught on this. And we see in Luke chapter 16, where we were at just a while back in verses 13 through 14, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. We've seen in other weeks as we've looked at texts and the warnings about money. That money is not the root of all sin, but it is the love of money which is the root of sin. And so these religious church leaders are filled with greed in their hearts. But Jesus also points out his disciples says, pay attention. Here's an observation about them. They are great public performers. They are great religious professionals. Verse 47, and for a pretense, they make long prayers. They're putting on the act. They're those people that you're like, you hear them pray, and you're like, wow, I could never pray like that person. And really, they're doing it possibly for a show so that other people would listen to them. And then we're like, man, I can't pray like that. And that yet their prayer had nothing to do with God, but it had everything to do about themselves. Look at Luke chapter 18. We saw this too just a while back. Uh, Jesus tells this uh, uh, parable about a Pharisee, a religious leader, a church leader, and a tax collector. They both go to church. They both go to the temple. They're both praying. And the Pharisee, it says this, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. And on and on the prayer goes, and he's praying out loud. You ever been around those people? And they pray out loud, and they make their prayers sound everything about themselves. I, 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 instead of, God, you are glorious. You are majestic. You are wonderful. Praising God, giving thanks to the work that he does. Instead, all the prayers are about uh, me, myself, and I so that everyone would pay attention and go, wow. He's like, watch out. Because in that same parable, he says there's a tax collector who knows that he's a sinner. He's so humbled by the fact of God and his greatness, he can't even look to heaven and pray. Instead, he's like, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And he's beating his chest. Jesus draws out the difference between those two and says that the man... Who confessed his sins and repented from his sins is the one who went down justified and not the Pharisee, not the religious leader. If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaching about praying, he says this in verses 5 and 6 And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I would say if we're gathered with people and we're praying out loud and the purpose is to impress someone else, it would be better if we just kept our mouth shut. It would be better for us to be quiet and pray silently with the Lord than it would be to try to impress someone else with words and they'd be just like these Pharisees, which Jesus are warning of. So he says, men, look at these guys. They're filled with pride. They have greed in their hearts. They're public performers, religious professionals. And he says that their extravagant religious double standards means that they will face a greater punishment on judgment day. Look at verse 47. It says they will receive the greater condemnation. Just as Jesus was observing the religious leaders then, you need to know that Jesus observes the church leaders in this world today. Now, elders and pastors of churches around the globe. It's not like Jesus just was paying attention to those temple leaders then. He pays attention to pastors and elders now because this is his church and it says in the word of God that Jesus is the head of the church and so leadership in the church is very important to him I remind the elder team and myself regularly of 1st Peter chapter 5 1st Peter chapter 5 is something which you take very seriously if you serve as an elder or a pastor in the church Peter says in verse 1 of chapter 5 1st Peter So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and as and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, the elders and and myself know that there is a day that we have to give an account to God for anyone who is a part of Discovery Alliance Church. And God will judge us based on how we shepherd the flock, how we were not greedy, how we didn't put up a show, how we taught the word of God. And we have to give an account to God. And I'll tell you this, that's something that makes you roll in bed at nighttime. Because there's a lot of people who call Discovery their home and we're given a great charge to shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to us. Hebrews chapter 13, another text in verse 17 about leadership in the church today and the body of Christ. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And people hate that. I'm supposed to follow the leaders, the elders and pastors of the church And because we see the sinfulness of mankind, but it says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
In Ezekiel chapter 34, God condemns the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. And through the prophet Ezekiel, he condemns those those leaders and says that they are devouring the sheep. They're scattering the flock. And so God condemns them. It's a fearful chapter to read, especially as a leader in the body of Christ today. And I'll say this. There are Christian churches in the world which have leadership that are just like the scribes with Jesus warns the disciples about. And there are churches that should remove some of those leaders. They should look to the word of God. And if those men are not shepherding the flock, and if they're doing what they're doing for greediness and gain and popularity and for a show, they should be removed. So the question for you and I always is, what do we do with this text? So up to this point, Jesus is telling these guys who are going to lead the church, the apostles, we read of them in the book of Acts. He's like, hey, pay attention to these guys. And number one, it's so that they would not follow that example, that they would not be like those leaders in the temple at that time. And I would tell you this, number one. Personally observe your heart and see if any of those things are part of your life. Greediness, pride, a fake show of of religion. But also I'd ask you this. Do you pray for the elders and I at this church? Are you committed to pray for us as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we read the word of God, to teach and preach the word so that you would be guided by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Do you actually pray? Not just, oh yeah, I'll pray for you sometime, pastor. I'll pray for the elders sometime. But do you commit to pray for us that God would protect us, the Holy Spirit would guard our hearts, that the enemy would not have a place in our life or our family's life, that we would be men of integrity, that we would be men of the word of God. Do you pray for us? And if you don't, my prayer I would beg and ask you today, commit today to pray for the elders and I, that we would walk in holiness, that we would walk in righteousness, that we would uphold the word of God and not take a position in a church so that we have power. Do you pray for us? That we would have hearts fully devoted to God and not of the world. That our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength would be completely devoted to God. Because when you continue on in this and look at chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, a lot of people like to separate this next part and say, oh, it's only on giving. But really, this second point, total devotion to God, goes hand in hand, exactly what Jesus is telling them. He's telling them, observe these religious leaders. Oh, now look over here at this giving. And this is the part where sometimes people are like, "Ah, there he goes, the pastor's going to talk about money. I don't create sermons just to talk about money because I don't like them. I'm like, hey, we're going through Luke. 
Today we come to this point and Jesus gives a warning. But, he, but here's the reality in this world. For years in ministry, I've always heard people complain, oh, the church is going to talk about money. Honey, lock the wallet. We're not giving anything today. Here they go again. Oh, you're trying to make me feel bad and you're trying to guilt me. I'm not trying to guilt anyone because everything I preach has to do with myself. And I'll tell you this, that giving in my life was a struggle, especially right when my wife and I got married. Because I was the type of person that only gave when I had some loose change. And that sounds horrible when you're a Bible student at a university. I'm like, God, I got to pay for the gas so I can get to the church and help that youth group that I'm doing. I only got a couple dollars this week. And then I marry my wife, who is a generous giver. And I remember one of the first times we're married and I see her writing out a check to the church and we just got paid that day. And I'm like, wait, we got to pay some bills first. And she goes, no, we're going to give first. And I'm like, I'm just stressing out. My wife is a wife. Uh, she's, she's a person of faith and she trusts in the Lord and, and the Lord has used her to teach me things. But I know that many people think that money is a great sensitive thing when it comes to the body of Christ. And the reason why is because so many so-called church leaders in this world abuse it. You turn on TBN and you can watch numerous health, wealth, prosperity, gospel preachers who say you better give your money. And if you give your money, then God's going to give back to you. And I'd say, watch out for those false teachers. So look at the text here in chapter 21, verses 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. You see, in this part of the temple, Jesus and the disciples are there. It's in the court where the women that they were able to be in. This was called the court of the women. And so in this, they had 13 boxes, 13 offering boxes. You're like, wow, one's enough, right? And each of those boxes had this brass type of trumpet bronze thing there and what and they were labeled and people would come into the temple and they take their coins and they throw them into this thing and it made some noise you ever been walking around someone drops some change it's like everyone stops it's like was that mine i mean it's amazing watch someone drop a coin watch everyone around they just stop and they look well people would be listening they'd be in the temple hear those big old thick coins go in and they hear a whole bunch of the buns like, oh, no, that was a bunch of pennies. They were thrown in the quarters. I mean, people, you paid attention to these things. And Jesus points out a poor widow who puts in two small copper coins while the other, the rich one, rich people were putting in, as Mark 12 says, large sums of money. And the reason Jesus does, he says, look at them. He says, pay attention. And people are like, that's horrible. Pay attention to them giving money. Because in this world, in most churches, giving is a secret thing. You don't say anything about it. You hide it, whatever. And it's like Jesus is saying, look at what's going on. He says, the rich are giving out of their abundance. They have this extra. And as they give, it's not a sacrifice for them. But he says, look at this poor widow. And the original language in the Greek there says, this widow was poor of the poor. And she gives two coins. And she sacrifices when she gives. Jesus says she gave everything that she had left. And you'd think, why would you do that? She's got to live. How is she going to eat this week? What's going on? She gave everything, Jesus says, that she had to live on. 
And as I looked at that, I'm like, Jesus not only observes that and is teaching them, but he observes my heart. He observes your heart. And whether it be giving, walking in holiness, serving him, whatever the act of your heart, Jesus pays attention and he knows all and sees all. So he knows when our motives are completely sinful and completely wrong. He sees when we desire to honor God and to give glory to his name and to praise him. He knows and sees all. And it's important that you would be reminded this morning that God is observing your heart 24-7 and he wants all of it. Does God have all of your heart or only a section of it? When I get farther down the road, then I'll give him this part. And so as we see here, Jesus watches how we give. This woman didn't care at all who was watching. She didn't know that Jesus was going to point this out to the disciples. She gave and it was a sacrifice. And my question for you and I in whatever way you give, financially, in however you use your gifts to serve. Some of you use your homes and be hospitable. However you give and God leads you in giving, the question is, do you do it joyfully? Is there joy in your heart in how you give or serve in whatever way? Because that's what counts when God observes your heart with giving. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This week, would you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and actually chapter 8 and 9? It's all about giving. The Apostle Paul writes to a church and he tells them about giving. And he talks about another group of churches that give and they give sacrificially. And there's some wonderful teaching about how you give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful or joyful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And if you read in chapter eight there, the apostle Paul says, hey, there's a group of churches in Macedonia. They don't have anything. And out of their poverty, they gave to support the gospel mission and to support these other churches that were in need. And so I asked these questions myself this week. Do I give of everything I have and all my abilities and gifts and things? My leftovers, my loose change? Or do I give for my excess? Even when I go and serve, am I doing it because I'm a pastor I have a job description in the church. I got to go do this. Or do I cheerfully go and serve as God has called me to? Do you cheerfully serve? Is there joy in your heart when you give, use your gifts and abilities to serve? When you give financially, when you give whatever it may be, do you do it joyfully? 
Again, I used to give begrudgingly. And I used to really battle with giving anything because I thought I don't have very much at all. And the Lord changed my heart on that and showed me in my life numerous ways. Just like the numbers of stories I could tell you of people that are believers and followers of Christ over the years who had told me later how they had a great financial need and God put it upon their heart to do something or give something or do whatever. And then God poured out his blessing. I was just like, wow, those are just crazy stories. But God does care for each of his people. And one of the things I would draw your attention to, that if you want to be a person that gives of your life sacrificially, then you have to look to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the greatest, uh, greatest example of giving. Jesus Christ is the one who said he had nowhere to lay his head. When he lived and walked this earth, he was not rich financially. But Jesus being God... He gave of himself. He gave all. He gave his life. And therefore he was obedient to the heavenly father. And he went to the cross. And he was nailed to a cross. And he died there in your place for your sins. And what he gave was his blood. He shed his blood so that your sins would not just be covered over and hidden from God the father. But that it would be completely removed. And that he would give you through faith his righteousness. And you would be clothed. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, knowing that you're forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when God the Father sees you, he sees you as his son and his daughter, who he has adopted because you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to our Heavenly Father. And to be saved is by believing in the sacrifice of his life and what he gave so that you could be saved. The great news is he didn't stay dead. And he rose again on the third day. Therefore, you can be forgiven of your sins. And without the resurrection, you still die. But because of the resurrection, you also share in that resurrection. And therefore, when you die as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are with Jesus eternal life. One day, a glorified body, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more cancer, no more death. Only Jesus for eternity. So he looked to Jesus and how he came to serve and not to be served. And if you follow his example, you'll be in the right place with your heart. And God sees the heart. Look at verses three. Last couple of verses as we bring this here to a close. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And it sounds a lot like what we've already read in the book of Luke. A couple of times Jesus says, hey, give up everything and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, he's got all the scripture down. He's got it all set. And Jesus said, all right, hey, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And the guy left in sorrow. 
because he wasn't willing to give up the things of the world. His heart was not set only on Christ. And so Jesus calls you and I to give up everything. Our status, our titles, our finances, possessions, anyone and everything that we hold higher than God. And he says, give it all up and follow me. And in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. He answers the question. If we want to have eternal life. It's loving God. With all of your heart. Your soul. Your mind. Your strength. Loving the Lord God Almighty with everything. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He says do this and you will live. So my question for you this morning is what things of this world has captured your heart that takes all of your attention, all of your strength, all of your finances, all of everything in your mind that you think about? What of this world has captured your heart that needs to flee so that Jesus is the only thing and everything that captures your heart? Because I tell you this, if you leave today thinking that all we are looking at is about giving money, you have completely missed the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is about your heart and the issues of your heart, the sinfulness of our heart, that we need to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to confess your sins to Jesus, even though you've been forgiven, because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so I'd ask you this. Here's three things to think about that sometimes capture our hearts more than Christ. Number one is our treasures. Bank accounts, homes, toys. Does that capture your heart more than Jesus? One example would be this. Some of you have homes. This fall, we need homes that are open to host numerous small groups where people can gather and study the word of God. Some of you need to say, Lord, do you want me to give of that? I'll give that. There's a li- the list of things go on. What about your talents, though? Some of us don't want to use our strengths, abilities, and gifts that God has given us to serve the body of Christ. We serve everyone else. We serve our work. We serve our neighbors. We serve our family. But uh, I don't have the ability or time or whatever to use my gifts in the body of Christ. Or I have no idea what I should do. We'll pray. What about your time, though? Sometimes I think that's the one that people want to hold on to the most. I'll give you Sunday morning, Pastor. You, get, you, you preach too long, I'm out the door. I don't have any other time the rest of the week. 
And I'll say this. I know that we can all say we're busy all the time. But some of you need to make time and give of your time and fellowship with other believers and disciple other people and spend time together in the word of God and to, and to give of that. Those are just three tests. Your treasures, your talents, your time. Where's your heart with that? Jesus requires hearts that are fully devoted to him and not to the world. And so let me end with this. Go back to the scribes. Jesus says, don't be like those scribes. Pay attention to this widow. Look at their hearts. The scribes' hearts are set on earthly things. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes of those who have their hearts set on earthly things. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Where's your heart? What's it devoted to? Turn to Colossians chapter three. If you are a follower of Christ and you're battling with your heart being tugged to the things of the world. Here is where you need to be, which puts you in the right manner to live daily and and walk with the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, whether Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Where is your heart today? Is it on Jesus? Is it on the things that you own? Is it on the troubles that you have? Is it on whatever you fill in the blank? Because God sees your heart. He wants your heart fully devoted to him. Father, we pray and ask that in this moment, as we close this time and sing a hymn of praise to you, that our hearts would be seen by you to be ones that are fully devoted ones that are sold out to you, that are given over to you. We pray, Jesus, and ask that you would rule over our hearts, that you would be the king of our hearts. Father, would you help us to set our minds on things that are above, about heaven, about you, ruling and reigning, thinking of your return, and one day where we would be with you for all eternity. Father, I pray for any in this room who have been far from you and their hearts are not set on you, that you would change their hearts today and that through faith in Christ, that they would believe in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.